to church today. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, yeah, you guys are actually here. That's pretty good. Give yourselves a hand right now. Give somebody a high five and just say, you made it. Good job. It's a big deal. Praise God that that hurricane just turned a tropical storm and it moved away from us. Yeah. And this is the worst that we get, which is actually incredible. We love when it rains on the windward side, don't we? We love the fact that Hawaii looks green and beautiful and I love the rain. So um, hopefully praying, Lord, no damage, no flash flooding, none of that on any of our islands. But um, we made it. It's the, the victory is just getting out of bed when the weather looks like this, isn't it? On a Sunday morning. Like, I got to do the early service, right? So I'm up real, like, 545. Or, and some of the guys on the worship team, they're here. I don't know what time they wake up. Like, just yesterday. They were, like, waking up super early. But I was driving to work today, and I'm, or to, to work for me, right, to church today. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, man, this is so hard, God. I'm not a morning person. You know, and the 7 a.m. people, that's the weird thing is, they are morning people. That's why they're there, right? And it's so weird because I'm like, you know, I'm trying to rally myself and, driving on the roads. It's all raining and dark, and I'm just kind of going, but God, we're going there because it's you, because we're there for you, so we're driving, so I got to change my attitude. I want to wake up because when we come together for church on Sunday morning, we're, we're throwing you a party. That's what it is every Sunday morning. It's God's people all coming together for the family party, the family reunion to glorify our Father, and I don't want to come being like, hey, I guess I'll go to the party for you, God, whatever. I want to be there like, wait, I'm here to honor you. So God's excited, but for me, I'm still feeling like it takes a lot of work to get out of bed early, you know, when it's raining and all this, but I'm driving to, driving to um, church and I'm feeling pretty good. Like I did it. I made it good for me. I, I sucked it up and I just, I got out there when I want to be home in bed with hot cocoa or, you know, or whatever. And I'm driving thinking that I'm so awesome that I got out of bed. I'm driving up to church and then I see one of our, our folks in our church family, actually, uh, a lady that lives close down in Castle Hills. And you know what she's doing? She's out with the iPod on just running, jogging in the rain, like no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. And suddenly I feel like so dumb, right? Because I'm like, yes, I did it. I, I got my jacket on. I'm driving to church. And here she is out there running and laughing at the rain. And I'm like, okay, I get it, God. You humbled me. I feel about this big. But it's still an accomplishment that we came to church this morning. So good job. Thank you guys for coming. God is pleased. And here's the, here's the reality of it is. Sometimes in our Christian walk, it's hard to do stuff. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to walk out our faith on the daily basis. But you know what happens when you do? You're rewarded for it. God sees it. God's blessed. God is, it may have been just as hard for me to get out and to drive to church as it was for someone else just jogging along in the rain, laughing at it or whatever. It doesn't matter. God's going, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever, wherever place in life that you're at, if you just keep at it, keep practicing, keep living for me, that's all I require. And I'm going to bless you for it. So you guys made it, got out of bed, came to church today. Guess what? You're going to be rewarded for that. If you haven't already in the worship time already, I'm like, God, I'm so glad I got out of bed this morning. So good to meet with you. Then you get to hear a word from his book, from his heart through me, but it, it's him talking. He's going to encourage you this morning. He's going to challenge you this morning. He's going to make a difference in your life because you got out of bed to came to church. Are you guys excited about that this morning? So know that it's going to be worth it, that you're here, and it's definitely going to be worth it. God's going to speak to us. I was thinking about social media the other day. Who's involved with social media? Who's in Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram? Uh, what else is out there? Google. <laughs> what, what else? 
Any Snapchat? Any other ways that you guys keep? MySpace, anybody? Old school? Is that even around anymore? It's not, you know? Here's, remember MySpace, it's this. Tom, you guys remember MySpace Tom? That's my impression of MySpace Tom. Everybody saw this picture. You guys don't, if you're not in MySpace, you don't know what I'm talking about. But think about social media and what social media is all about is that we, um, as people, get to share our thoughts, um, our ideas, whatever's going on in our head, our pictures, our videos, our views on politics. Sometimes we get to share scriptures. We get to, all of this, it's so that we can be more social, right? And there's, as much as there's controversy about all the bad stuff that social media promotes and puts out there, and there is, there's some weird, twisted, messed up people in the world, right? But on the other hand, there's a lot of good that social media brings us, isn't there? Would you guys agree? You guys better shake your heads, yes, 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 because I see you on it all the time, so don't try to make like you're not on it, but we're on it, and the reason it's good is we get to keep in touch with all kinds of people and see what's going on in the world, and there's all kind of really cool articles and and different pictures and just funny stuff. So it keeps you informed in a lot of ways. But really, ultimately, it's a chance for you to build relationships and to strengthen relationships. It really is social. It's about people. And in doing so, we as Christians, we have a great opportunity to actually minister to people. To actually, I've like had prayer requests and counseling for people on Messenger and just all of this kind of stuff. And just see where my friends are at. Build relationships, strengthen relationships that back in the day before the internet and all of that, I would have to like write someone a letter. Or I'd have to find their number, people I've lost contact with for years and years and track them down and all this. But now with like Facebook and all of this stuff, Insta, you can just put stuff out there, talk to people. And it really is good. But here's what I discovered early on with the whole uh, social media craze is it's only as good or you only receive the full benefits of being connected in that way to the social media world. It's only as good as the amount that I participate in it. Does that make sense to you guys? It means that you can sign up for Facebook and there's some of us that do, and we go and we look at everybody, what's going on, you know, with my phone or my computer, and I see what's going on in the world, and I hear everything that everybody's sharing out there, and I'm learning from articles. I'm being blessed. There's humorous things. There's cats playing pianos, and there's all, you know, dumb stuff, but, you know, it's, I receive a lot from it, but I don't add anything to it. Some of us are like that, right? We just go on and we just take, 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 and we don't give anything. Right? We don't want to, there's the people, and, and I mean this in a jokingly way, but like Instagram, like you, you're following all of these people who you're, you're following and looking at all the they, things that they post. And there's even people that are following you to see what you're going to say and what pictures and videos you're going to put up. The problem is you've never posted one picture or video ever, right? You're just in there receiving, and, and maybe there's the one first one of like a coffee cup or something, you're like, just figuring this thing out, click, and that's your only post that's on there. Are you guys hearing me? Let's see, the problem with that is, this is, and this is kind of how I used to be. I rarely go on it as much as I used to because I'm just busy, but when I go, I try to like give a, a like or a comment. I try to participate. But in the beginning, when I first figured it all out, all I would do is just be one of those observers, one of those watchers, one of those receivers from everybody else. But I wasn't given nothing. No likes, no comments, no nothing. I know my wife said, she, she gave me a term. She goes, you know what you are, Carl? I'm like, what? She goes, all you do is look and all you do is you're on there, but you don't give back. I'm like, well, I don't have to. She goes, you're a lurker. You're just, you're just lurking on social media. All you do is browse around and look at everybody else, but you're not in the game and you're giving nothing back. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I found out it 
That's true, though, to an extent, right? It's like, I have something in me, my opinion matters or whatever, that I can actually make a difference in the world and other people's lives the way that they're making a difference by giving me their comments and all of this stuff. But I have to get involved in the game. And in our Christianity, this is what we're talking about here today. We're talking about in the book of Hebrews, a warning that says, hey, if you kind of sideline yourself and you get out of the game, and all you're doing is just the bare minimum and getting by, there's a danger in that. You're not going to receive the full reward for showing up and being involved, God doing stuff in your life, but you also also are not making a difference in anybody else's life. And there's a danger if we get to that state of kind of complacency and just cruise mode as Christians, that we would kind of be the kind of people that could slowly, one thing leads to another because we're cruising so much, that we actually find ourselves walking and slipping right out of our relationship with God, that we, the very thing that we're after in the first place. And so the warning, we've been talking about warnings in Hebrews. The author's been writing to a group of people that are his friends, that are his family, that are his countrymen, that used to live under Jewish law, the law of Moses, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the system of, I live my life like this, do the rules and regulations, um, honor uh, God with going to the priests and asking for um, atonement to God through the priests, all of that system was how we used to live in relationship with God. God says, if you do all of this stuff, I will bless you. And then God says, now there's a new covenant, a new testament. It's Jesus. I've I've created a better system than the old one. The old one was hard to keep. The new one says, accept my son and all that he's done for you. And he's your once and for all atoning high priest that now gives you relationship with God. And if you live in relationship with him and you live for him, then everything works and we have relationships. So Hebrews is saying there's the old way, but here is the new way. And it's through Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, who we need to be anchored to. That's right in a nutshell, reminding you guys, that's what Hebrews is all about. So in the book of Hebrews, there's all these warnings. The author is going, it looks like you guys have converted from the old system of law to the new system of Jesus and love and relationship, but it looks like you're having second thoughts. It looks like you're kind of thinking about maybe going back to your old ways, what you think is better, to religion, to man trying to please God versus allowing God to have relationship with you. So I better write a book about it. And I want to warn you of some stuff. Now, he makes about five very clear warnings in the book of Hebrews. We talked about the first one a few weeks back, which was drifting, which is letting your guard down, not paying attention, kind of taking it easy. And, and one thing leads to another. I, I kind of just, I'm just going to miss church this week, or I'm going to, there's an opportunity to pray for that guy, but ah, you know, I'm just going to kind of, I, I didn't really see it happening. I'm going to go do something else. And we slowly begin to drift away from our faith and we could drift right out of relationship with God. So the first warning was, be careful, don't drift. The second warning, Pastor Rob spoke last week. Didn't he do a good job, Pastor Rob? Um, He spoke about the doubts that we have and that um, we need to have rest and we could fall out of that place of rest if we're doubting God and we could miss out on all that he has for us and we could reject him if we begin to let doubt creep in. And the the warning today that I want to talk about is a warning against uh, giving up on living out your faith. Um, stopping from practicing your faith on the daily um, basis. Um, it's a warning against continuing to grow. It's when we sideline ourselves. It's a picture of this. I'm on the team and I show up to practice and everything, but in the games, I'm only ever sitting on the bench. 
and I'm not really in the game experiencing the fullness of what the game is all about. In other words, like in Facebook, I'm on Facebook, I'm a member, but I'm just doing bare minimum and I'm receiving, but I'm not in the relationship, in the network. I'm not giving anything back. I'm not really being productive. I'm missing out on the fullness of what it's available. I'm a Facebook lurker. Here's the warning I think today, the one that I, when I read scripture, don't be a Christian lurker. Okay, if you take notes on anything, write that down. I don't want to be a Christian lurker. I don't want to be the guy that has this faith and I'm on the team and I love Jesus, but I'm just not doing anything about it. I've just, I just sit on the bench and that's good enough. Well, here's the deal. Jesus says that's not good enough because I have more for you. If you just sit and you lurk and you do bare minimum, that's all you're going to get. And there's a fear in that when you realize this is all I'm going to get. Well, this doesn't seem so good. There's a chance you could slip right out of a relationship with God, but it's not his fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. And so the writer of Hebrews today, he's giving this warning. He's going to be careful that you don't just become a lurker, that you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, but you're not doing anything. You're not of any benefit to anyone. In fact, God can't even do new things in your life because you're not actively seeking relationship with him. You're right there. You've stagnated. You've stopped. You've, you've gotten mediocre and that's as good as it's ever going to get for you. Be careful because it could get worse. You could slide right out of that relationship with God. And that's the warning today. Look what he says in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11 and 12. The writer says, there's much more that we'd like to say about this. And by this, what he's talking about is the previous five chapters talking about the old system versus Jesus, the new way that is so much better. He goes, I could say a lot more about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. Now, he's not just trying to diss them and hate on them and judge them, but he's coming along and he's going, look, I, I want to tell you how good this is, but you guys have kind of, you're at this place where you've kind of You've given up. Like you're, you're not listening anymore. You know the basics of Jesus and, and the gospel message, but you've kind of stopped growing. You don't seem to listen. Look at verse 12. He says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Now, here comes the big kind of uh, problem that he sees with these people, potential problem. This is a book written to Christians. The sermon today is a sermon for Christians. Those of us that know God. He's not talking to people that never met God. He's saying, those of you that know God, but you're taking it easy and you're not maturing and growing, that, that you, you've already learned a lot. You have knowledge. You have all of this power available to you from God. You should be doing something about it. You should be in the game teaching it to other people, and yet you're acting like a baby instead of someone that's growing and maturing. You're just still stuck on, on the basic level and just taking in the, the milk. And so then he says this in Hebrews 6.1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Okay, now there's something specific about that word understanding here. He's saying, yeah, we need to keep on learning, but it's more than just learning and it's more than just knowledge. The idea behind the word understanding is that you have heard the knowledge and the learning, but understanding gives you the comprehension to apply what you've heard. Are you guys hearing me? Here's the biggest call that he's saying is there's a lot of Christians out there that are just kind of out of place where they feel good enough, where they're in, where they're saved, where they maybe even go to church, but they've kind of plateaued. And God is saying, if you keep pressing in, you keep going more, 
I can do big things in your life. I can take you places you've never been before. And if you stop and you plateau, there's a danger of falling all the way away from God completely. So be careful with this mode of good enough in this comfort zone. See, if you read the whole Bible, you look at the fact that God has not ever called us to just do bare minimum. Like a lot of bare minimum is this. I go to church. Maybe I read my Bible once in a while. I kind of pray. And that's really all that I need to do. If you read the whole Bible, God never even told us ever to go to church. Do you guys realize that? He never said, you must go to church. He tells us this, you must be the church. You must live out what it is to be a member of my family. You must be the church. So he's not talking about bare minimum in the things we do. He's saying practice all the time. Now, I'm not saying that church is invaluable because he does tell us get together and fellowship with other believers and be fed and all that. But the whole goal isn't that just we would just do the minimum religious activity. It's we'd be living this life where we'd be representing him. So the question I ask myself is this. If this is a warning to Christians, and I read it, it's a warning to Carl Moore. Carl, are you a different and better pastor, husband, father, and friend, are you different and better now than, than you were one year ago? Oh, that's a heavy question to think about. Are you better and different now than you were six months ago? Are you better and different now than you were last month, last week, or yesterday? Because the goal is that we would continue to actively live out our faith because God has something new and better for us every single day. Amen? See, it's a scary question, though. Take a snapshot of your life and look at where you're at today. Look at yourself a year ago. Have you grown? Because if you haven't grown, then you've probably plateaued. And you've probably got into cruise mode. And you probably kind of, you're a Christian. You're still there. You believe in God. But you're just sitting on the bench. You're not really making a difference. And God's having a hard time making a difference in your life because you're just... You're a little bit stagnant. And so I want to take this thing to heart. So the, the Hebrew author here, he's going, guys, wake up. This could be scary. I care about you. We all need to make sure we keep going. So here's his real warning. It comes in the next few verses, and it, it's a little hard to swallow, but praise God that he doesn't just come in and, and put us on blast or put these people on blast and condemn them. He just goes, here's a scary warning. This is how bad it can get. But it ends on a high note, and he goes, I don't think you guys are those people. I think you just need to keep going. He gives him a coaching speech, and he goes, keep on living for God. But let me tell you how bad it could be. That going into cruise mode could end real bad. If any of us are feeling that we're in kind of cruise mode right now, it's kind of like, I better be aware. I don't want it to end like this. Hebrews 6 verse 4 says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. He's talking about it's hard to bring people back into that same relationship with God that they once had if they've been enlightened and yet they turn away. He goes, it's hard to bring people back to repentance who were once enlightened. What does it mean to be enlightened? He says, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance because by rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. He's saying this. I want you to understand this very clearly. Be careful because it looks like some of you have gone into cruise mode. That's what he's saying. You should be teaching. You should be doing. You should be living it. Instead, you're just kind of cruising and you've stopped at the basics. You're in this cruise mode. He goes, here's the danger of cruise mode. And he talks to this. 
is that you could get into such a place that you've tasted the goodness of God. He's talking to Christians. You know the power. You've seen miracles in your life. You know you, before when you've read the word of God, it's come alive and God has spoken to you. You've walked with the Holy Spirit. You know that he speaks to you and he gives you boldness when you need it. He gives you peace when you need it. He helps you have the words to say to people. He, he's manifested his spiritual gifts. You've, you've seen prophecy. You've seen healing. You've seen words of wisdom. You've experienced speaking in tongues or all of this stuff. You know that God is good. He goes, there's a danger for people who let their guard down and go into cruise mode. They've tasted what's good, but then they're kind of being just complacent. They're not in the game anymore. There's a danger that they could slip into actually rejecting God altogether. And if you get to that kind of hard-hearted place, it is impossible. It is really hard to ever bring you back to what you once had. So he's going, guys, I love you, but watch out. Be careful. Again, I don't want you walking out of this room today feeling condemned. This is a, a guy that's caring for his people, and he's going, careful. You're on a slippery slope if you get too complacent in life. He goes, he gives an example, verse 7. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, what he's talking about is if we soak up the truth of the word of God and all that God has for us and we produce a good crop. In other words, we're active. We're producing good fruit in our lives because we're living it. God's using us to make a difference in the world. If, if we soak up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. God is pleased and he'll bless us and take us further. But if a field or a person or people bears thorns and thistles. In other words, we're just not growing. We're, not, we're of use, no use to God. Nothing good is coming out of our lives. It actually says this, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. And by burn it and condemn it, you know what he's actually talking about? It's not that you would completely lose your salvation. It's the fact that when you become useless to God, all the farmers that were reading this back in the day, they understood what was happening. Is if you, you don't have a productive field and it's just producing all thorns and, and thistles, they would have to burn all of that stuff off of the field. Now, the roots, if the soil is still decent, it's going to come back, but it's going to take some consequences. It's going to take some discipline so that, that field is ready to grow again. Basically, the warning here is saying, be careful. It's really hard. If you've slowly drifted into complacency, just riding the bench, doing bare minimum Christianity, there's a danger you might reject God altogether. And if you get to that point, man, it's hard to bring you back to the goodness of God. Because what could we convince you of if you already know how good God is and you've turned away? How hard is it going to be to bring you back? So he's going, watch out. Don't do this. So here's the warning. But you know what? Now here comes the heart of the author that's the love. And he says this, if you look in, in Hebrews 6, 9, he goes, here's how not to do it. In fact, I don't think you guys are drifting and you're falling into that. But he goes, here's the kind of life that you're living that we need to continue all the time to practice so we don't slide into that. He says in chapter 9, Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, like severe, we really don't believe it applies to you. That's a good thing, right? When I, when I read this right here, I'm going, oh man, he's condemning Christians and if we, we fall into cruise mode, we're, we're done, it's over, we can't come back. Really, he's going, here's the warning, but I really don't believe it applies to you. He says, we're confident that you're meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked. In other words, he sees that you're not on the bench, that he sees that you're in the game. You worked hard for him and how you've shown your love to him. You care for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for 
will come true. What is our hope? Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is salvation. Our hope is eternal life. Our hope is the Holy Spirit working in us and through us on the daily. Whatever problems we're going through right now in our lives, here in Kaneohe right now, whatever you're going through, we have a hope in Jesus, a promise in Jesus that says, I'm going to walk through him with you and I'm going to take care of things and I'm going to be your God and I'm going to protect you and things might get scary or hard, but I'll never leave you or forsake you. Things will be better if you hold on to me. And so he's saying, I'll make, make certain that what you hope for will come true as long as you keep loving others, keep living the life. Verse 12 says, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. That whole lazy, that whole cruise mode, that whole Christian lurker status I was talking about before. He goes, if you stay busy, then you're not going to become like this. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. So I look at this and I go, wow, there's a danger. Here's the warning. Plain and simple, when I read this passage, there's a warning that if I get a little bit lazy and a little bit indifferent, and I kind of stop trying and growing and living out my faith, I may still believe I have my faith, I do bare minimum, but if I stop practicing it on the daily basis, then there is a chance of danger and I might fall away from God. And so, when I look at this, I go, well, what is it that would make me fall into cruise mode? If I'm worried, I don't want to be that guy. What are the, the couple of the main things that would cause us to, to fall into this place? Well, here's two of them that I think that I've identified. And I've, if you're writing notes, write this one down. I think that one of the first main reasons that we fall into cruise mode is this. We think Christianity is too hard. We think it's too difficult to keep holding on to God when a storm just hit in our personal life, in our marriage, in our finances, in whatever. When we go through trials, we're like, it's just too hard. I'm just, I'm going to stop trying so hard. I'm just going to kick back and I just got to survive right now. Or we think that, you know what, I want to be a better Christian and I want to get to where God has me. And I see this example that looks perfect. And for some reason, I can never seem to get where that example is in my life. Or you compare yourself. I compare myself, other Christians, other pastors, other dads, other husbands that are out there. Ah, God, I'm not as good as them. I'm trying over here, but I can never seem to be good as, insert name here, that guy. And we all have that guy or that girl in our lives, right? I want to be like them. And for some reason, the more I try to be a Christian and follow you, God, I just can never be that good. And we always believe the term that says, practice makes perfect. God, I'm practicing, and I'm never becoming perfect. So you know what? I give up. I'm just going to go into cruise mode. I'm still a Christian. I still do bare minimum. I still want to go to heaven. But God, I'm tired of trying. It's too hard. It doesn't work. Here's the reality. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. Did you know that? And there's, there's times when you go, oh yeah, practice makes perfect. But I think of it like this. We had the hula team dance up here the other week, right? And I was all, I was joking about like, I'm just never good. I could never get like that. That's a reality. That's a fact in my life. No matter how much Carl Moore practices hula, he will never be a perfect hula dancer. I will never even be good. And you know what the problem is? I can practice all I want. I just don't got rhythm. Like, I just, I can't do it. And there's a lot of things in our life and our faith where we have this ideal of what it looks like to be perfect for whatever reason we never can seem to get there. And so because it's so hard and so difficult, we just kind of kick back. I'm just going to go sit on the bench. I'm not walking away from God completely, but I'm just going to go into cruise mode because it's just too hard. And, I, and this is what I believe about practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does make a difference. That's the title of the message. Practice does make a difference. God never asked you and me to be perfect. Do you know that? 
He never asks us to be perfect. He asks for us to do our best, to do the best we can with what we know, with who we are, with what we've been given. We just do our best. And if we continue to practice living out the, the lifestyle of Christianity, God promises, I'll bless you for that. You don't have to shoot for perfect. You shoot for perfection, you're always going to fail. No one was perfect except my son, Jesus. You're never going to be there. So when you begin to embrace the fact that what God is asking is just do your best, you start to understand this. The surrender to God is a process in your life. The grace that he has for you, it's a process. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be almighty, holy overnight. God is doing a work in you, but he's only working in partnership with you. Do you understand that? When you participate and put into it, then God's going to work with you and you're going to get better. He's not asking for perfection. There's a bunch of verses in scripture that remind me of this that it's not perfection we're after, it's, it's just working hard and practicing. 2 Timothy 2.15, we've got a list of them. Look at this. I want to make this point to you. He's not asking for you to be perfect. He's asking for you, for you to try hard and to do your best. Look what it says. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of God, the word of truth. What he's saying, first of all, just work hard. Work hard at it. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Make it your goal. He's not saying you have to attain them. Just make it your goal. Shoot for that. And he's saying, work as hard as you can with it. Romans, he tells us, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. He's not saying you absolutely have to. He's going, do your best. Because if he asked us for perfection, we'd walk around all the time feeling like a failure. He's going, do your best to keep staying in the game and practicing. The last one, he's saying, work at it. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I appreciate this in my life because it, it lowers the bar a little bit. I don't have to be perfect. And I realize, because I'll never be. And that just makes me want to give up right now. Can I just go into cruise mode right now, God? Because I'm never going to be that good. God goes, I'm not asking you to be that good, Carl. I'm asking for you, Carl Moore, to be the best you can be that you would listen to my Holy Spirit because he'll help you when you fall short. And remember that there's grace. I know you messed up here, you messed up there. You're not perfect, but don't let that stop you from trying. Don't let that stop you from practicing because my grace is sufficient for you because I'm gonna help you with my Holy Spirit because I love you. I'm just asking, would you do your best, get in the game and keep practicing, keep playing? Practice makes a difference. Practice doesn't make perfect but I want to make a difference in life. And God goes, when you do your best, I can work in you and I, I can work through you into other people. My son teaches me this lesson every single day. My son recently got into surfing a couple years ago, like really hardcore. He wants to surf now all the time. Um, we got a picture of him that you can put. Can you put the picture of my son Isaac up there? 13 years old. He loves to surf. He just caught the bug when he was about 12 years old. Wants to surf all the time. Surfing a lot. Then he goes, dad, Dad, I want to do some, some contests. I want to go competitive. And I was like, okay, son, I don't know if you're ready. You know, you just kind of got into this. No, I want to do it. So we signed up for some of the amateur contests, you know, the, the HASA events, the HSAs. And um, he shows up, and he wants to get better, and he wants to surf and all this stuff. And he finds that he doesn't do so hot. What he finds when he goes down to these surf contests is all the other kids that are in there have been competing in these events from, like, 
young age, like five, six years old. So they've all got all this experience. All of these kids live close to the beach or they got parents that can take them all of the time. I don't necessarily, can't really do that all the time. So they get to surf way more. So the kids he's up against, been competing forever, they surf really good. And they've got sponsors on their boards. They've got brand new custom boards. My son, I look at his board. It's like, it's been poked. It's been broken in half. Like we fix it. I mean, it's all the boards he's ever had are hand-me-down boards. In fact, the two latest boards that we just hooked him up with, they're not brand new boards. He got them from some other surfer that was done with them. They're hand-me-downs. In fact, she's a girl surfer, right? So it's even different. She rips, but it's like, oh, I have a board that's made for a girl. And it's like, not really, right? It still works the same. But he's got all of this kind of going, this could be discouraging. Man, I enter these events and I take last place at the first, my first heat every single time. And I've got this broken old board and all I've ever had are beater boards and all these people have all this new stuff and all this good stuff. So in my heart, I'm going, man, I hope my son doesn't get discouraged. The sport of surfing is so fun. I hope he doesn't give up right now. So I have to go pep talk him. Hey, buddy, you know what? You're doing good. You're doing the best you can. And, you know, it's okay if those other people have nicer bars. We'll get you one. And they're good, remember, because they've been doing this since they're like five years old. And you just started. So you're going to be like, and I'm trying to pep talk him. And you know what my son does with a big grin on his face? Like, I don't care, Dad. It's cool. I'm just going to keep practicing. I'm like, no, no, you're okay. Like, I'm all, I'm all worried about his ego and, you know, and everything like that. Because if it was me, I'd be like, no, like ah, I suck. Everyone's good. They have new boards and I have this, you know. And he doesn't even phase him. He's just like, no, I just got to keep practicing. I go, well, you know, they've been working at it forever and the world champion, they've been they're doing it forever. And I don't know if you might not be the world champ at this, buddy, but are you going to be okay? He goes, no, I'm probably not going to be, but it's okay. I have a fun time doing it. But the more I practice, the better I get. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. He goes, so dad, I just want to keep practicing. I just want to do it. Big grin on his face. Well, I got him two used boards. To him, they're the best, most brand new, nicest boards in the world. He loves it. Nothing discourages this kid. And in that lesson, God's going, that's how I want you to be with your faith, Carl. I don't want you to ever think it's too hard and the world is stacked against you and you can never be good enough and everybody else is better than there. I want you to do your best and I will reward that. And you're going to have a good time. Am I making my point on that one? One of the reasons we fall into cruise mode, it's too hard. Everybody else is better than me. I can't keep up. Here's what God's saying. Do your best and you'll be blessed. Do your best and you'll get the reward that I have for you. Here's the other reason that we fall into cruise mode. This is the problem with the Hebrew audience that he's writing this letter to. Pride. Pride says this. I've already been a Christian this long. I already know all that I need to know about God. I know enough. I don't need to try so hard anymore. Look at me. I've been saved this long. I know the message. I know all that. Why would I try any harder? I'm good enough. And it's a pride that says, I'm good enough. That's all I need to do. And I think this is what the Hebrew guys were kind of struggling with is we know everything and just, I don't know, we're just going to kind of take it easy and take five. And in fact, we know everything. So we're going to actually turn back to some of our old ways too, because we think that that's better. And the reality is it isn't about how much you know, it's about what you, you do with what you know right? We're always supposed to be maturing in our growth and knowing more and having more knowledge. So that's a good thing, learning more about God. But God doesn't care about all the knowledge in the world that you have if it just stays up here. He's hoping that it comes into the heart and into the hands and that we're out there applying what we know. See, that's wisdom. It's applying the knowledge that we have. Because to be honest with you, if it was just about being smart, 
I know plenty of people that are smart and totally useless. Anybody? You know people, like, man, they know a lot about, but they sure don't know how to do it, right? I, I built those um, Elias surfboards with my, my son. Remember I told you guys that? I showed you the board that we, we shaved down, and it's like this thick, and it's just it's an ancient, uh, traditional Hawaiian surfboard, no fins or anything like that. And I made this board, and I learned all there is to learn about it. Watched all the videos, read all the books, the whole deal. I took it out there, and I went surfing, and I got beat up. I just, I had all the knowledge in the world, but until I began to actually practice, I was useless on that board, and I got beat up. And to be honest with you, I gave up for the time being. I'm like, that's enough of this for now, God. I made the board. I didn't have the knowledge of the sport, but I'm not ready to practice it right now because I got hit by the reef and beat up by the board, and I look like a fool, and my pride was hurt, God. So, you know what? I'm done with that. And see, here's the problem is when it's all in your head and you know everything, but you're not applying it. You're useless. So see, the goal is not knowledge. James 4.17 says this. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. God is not holding us accountable for the knowledge. God is holding us accountable for what we do with the knowledge. So here's the Hebrew people going, we know enough. We know all of this. We're totally mature. Knowledge does not equal spiritual maturity. Knowledge does not equal growth. Knowledge does not equal success in a relationship with God. Now, we are told to study and to learn and to know about God, but it's what you do with the knowledge. Does that make sense? We better be in the game. We better be practicing this stuff. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, to make the point, it's not all about knowledge. Look what it says. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans, if I possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. See that? The Apostle Paul goes, you could have all the knowledge in the world. If you don't know how to love people, you don't know how to live out the life of faith in your actions and loving other people, waste of time. All the knowledge, all the faith, all of that in the world means nothing to God. It's useless unless you're loving people. So here's what God is saying is, just because you think you know it all, that doesn't give you an excuse to take five and to just sit and to relax in your Christianity. God's going, what's important to me is because you know all of that stuff, you should be loving on other people. You should be applying my words to other people. You should be doing the kind of things that is putting love into action, living your faith. What does your, living your faith look like? Practicing every day? It looks like this to me. When I show up to church on the weekend and I notice the hundreds of volunteers that make this church operate on a weekly basis and I realize there's only about 20 of us that actually have paid full-time jobs in this church, the staff, this church is not operating off of 20 people. This church is operating off of 20 overseers and pastors and preachers and all of that but it is the whole entire family of God, all of our volunteer teams that are running the cameras right now, the soundboards, passing the plate offerings, uh, all the stuff that they do that, that runs the mini churches, that makes up the structure of this church, that's living your faith out loud. Am I making sense? That's people who are not sitting on the bench, but people who are in the game and they are practicing and God is going to reward those people and he's going to give them all of their promises. It looks like the the... The lady that I know, I saw on Facebook this week, she was so stoked because her daughter texted her a scripture verse. And the reason she said she was so stoked is because she makes it a point to always text Bible verses and scriptures to her kids and to always pray for her kids and to always work at pushing them towards Jesus because that's what's most important in life. You know what? That woman, my friend, is not sitting on the bench. She's in the game. She's praying for people. She's pushing people toward Jesus Christ. She's getting busy. 
You know what it looks like to, to live a life that is practicing, that is not stagnating? It's this. It's that you would decide to bring Jesus into every situation in your life. If the warning is, hey, keep practicing, well, what does it look like to practice? Here's what I think it is. Is that you have the answer, you have a blessing, you have help, you have the tools available to make a difference in your life and in this world around you by bringing Jesus into every single situation. That's what a life of practicing your faith is all about. How many of you guys know someone that, that always carries around a pocket knife? Anybody have like someone that's always got a pocket knife or like a grandpa? My grandpa always had the pocket knife, right? And it's like, there's the tool whenever you need something, that pocket knife, the Swiss Army knife especially, right? Because it's got the screwdriver and the tweezers and the scissors and the toothpick and the, you know, everything, right? The little umbrella. No, I don't know. It has everything. But there's a tool when something needs to be fixed in life, you can bust out the pocket knife. Or anybody have the mom that carried the super purse that had everything in it that you needed? You're hungry, and I'm like, I'm sure I got a granola bar in here somewhere. Oh, here you go. Wow, that's awesome. You stub your toe, and it's like, oh, no, hey, Band-Aid, wh- where did that come from, right? Mom's got it all. Like, oh, man, my hair is a mess today. I got I to gotta do something with my hair. I'm sure I got one. It's stuck to some gum and a Tic Tac, but here, I have a hairbrush. I carry a hairbrush. And mom had the purse that had everything that you needed in it, Right? You guys, anybody anybody know the person that has that, the super purse that's like the Mary Poppins thing? Everything comes out of that thing? Well, in today's day and age, I compare it to this. We've got this little thing that answers so many questions. Is this restaurant any good? I don't know. Let me check Yelp. You know, like, where's the closest place to fix a flat tire? Siri, where's the closest? We have the world at our fingertips and we rely so much on our smartphones because it's like I bring my smartphone into so many areas of my life it's so helpful but here's what God is trying to say here is do you rely on the Holy Spirit as much as you rely on your smartphone do you rely on the Holy Spirit and the, the, the wisdom that he gives you through reading his word and the relationship with Jesus Christ your anchor as much as you rely on finding help in your mom's purse or your grandpa's pocket knife We have been given the tool that applies to every problem and every circumstance in our lives. That is our faith, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to keep practicing, it means what are the areas in my life that I'm not bringing him into? What are the areas that I need to keep practicing? Because if I don't, there's a danger that I might fall into complacency, into I know enough, it's all good, I'm going to sit on the bench and ride this one out. And God says, you're not making a difference to anyone you're useless in this world. If you want my promises, you got to know that it takes you doing your part. Hebrews six seventeen it ends with this. It says, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. And here's the good news. When you practice your faith and you live it out and you stay fresh and you keep doing what he's called you to do, he promises and he's made an oath. You know the difference between a promise and an oath? A promise is, hey, I'm going to do something for you. An oath is you take it to someone who has a higher authority than you and says, as you as a witness to keep us accountable, I am promising this to this person and we're going to write it down and seal it. And that is an unchangeable promise because it's now an oath. Well, God says this, I made promises to you guys. If you live for me and you live out your faith every day, I'm going to give you all the promises of Jesus. And more than a promise, I'm taking an oath. There's no higher power than God himself. So he goes, I'm holding myself accountable to my own word. And my very nature says, I'm truth and I do not lie. So I'm promising results are guaranteed. If you continue to live for Jesus, because right now some of us are like, it's just too hard. I'm just going to kind of sit this one out. 
It's like when you graduate high school and like, I want to go to college, but what if I just take a year off? You guys all know the danger in that, right? Take that year off, you never go back to college. And the whole deal is, no, don't take a year off. Don't take time off. Keep in the game. Keep living for God. His promises are guaranteed. The results are going to happen in your life. So here's the challenge. This week, what is one new thing that you're going to commit to God to prove that you're practicing your faith. See, what is the one new thing that you're going, God, if you want me to practice and get off the bench, show me something new that I need to do to challenge myself. What's one new thing? Maybe you need to start praying every night with your kids. Maybe you need to start tithing. Maybe you need to get involved in that mini church. Maybe you need to go start a mini church. Maybe you need to open your mouth about Jesus at work. You've been too scared or it's too hard. What's the one new thing that you're going to do this week? Write that one down. What's the challenge? I got to be a person that practices, not a Christian lurker. Is that good? Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you expect us to stay busy for you. Lord, that we're we're never given a free pass to just sit and cruise. Because Lord, when we do that, we, we take our eyes off the prize and we miss out on all the blessings that you have for us in our lives. And Lord, the fact that we can be a blessing to other people, when we take ourselves out of the game, we're not helping, we're not contributing. Lord, there's people in this world that need us. Lord, we need you. And when we get stagnant and we just kind of sit there and don't do anything with our faith, Lord, it kind of turns off the faucet of blessing in our lives from you. Not because you don't want to, but because ultimately we're turning away from you and we're kind of rejecting it. Lord, I pray that we would stay on fire for you. I pray that this week we would look for new opportunities to practice our faith because practice makes a difference. Lord, that you would challenge us in new ways. Get us out of our comfort zone. Get us off the bench that's easy to just sit there. But Lord, get us into something that's gonna grow us and stretch us and challenge us into something far better than we can see where we're at right now. We ask you to do that, Lord. And if there's anybody in the the room tonight, you came to church here today looking for God. This was kind of a message to Christians, but you understand that, that if you are a Christian and you say yes to him, there's a lot of good things that he could do in your life can change where you're at and who you are and do some incredible things as he forgives you and heals you. If you're someone that came to church today looking for God, well, he's here and he's been waiting for you to come to him to start a relationship with him. And it's as easy as just saying in your heart a prayer that says, yes, God, I will follow you. I want all that you have for me. I will do what you call me to do. And I I understand that there are promises that are, that are results in my life that are guaranteed by your promises and your oath to me. And so God, I, I want to choose today to follow you. And if that's the cry of your heart this morning, if you're ready to make that decision to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ and see what he could do in your life, I want to say a prayer with you. I'm going to pray the words out loud and I'm going to ask you just to pray them under your breath, quietly in your heart to God. He sees you. He judges you off your heart. He knows what you're doing. But I want to say the words out loud and pray it with you here and lead you in this prayer. And it's a prayer of just surrendering to God, of, of saying from here on out, God, I'm going to do things your way, not my own way. I'm going to trust you with my life, Lord. I'm going to believe that your son Jesus died on that cross and rose from the grave to pay the price for my sins, to take the hit so I wouldn't have to. I realize that I don't deserve to have a relationship with you, but Jesus made a way that I could have a relationship with you. So I'm going to hold on to that and I'll follow you. And if that's the prayer that you want to pray this morning, before I pray it out loud and you pray it quietly in your heart, I'm going to ask that you would let me know, that you'd have the accountability just to let me know that you're going to pray it with me. When I count to three, I'm going to ask that you would raise your hand to let me know you want to pray that this morning. People seated around you, they don't have their eyes open. They're praying here with everyone else in the church. But if that's you, 
On the count of three, would you let me know so that I can lead you in this prayer that will change your entire eternity? On the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Would you lift those hands if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I see one here. I see two right here. Thank you. I see three. Someone over there. Anybody else as I'm looking around? I saw about three, four. Amen. Thank you, Father God. I saw four people, five. Someone else right here. Thank you, Jesus. If I didn't see you, don't worry about it. God saw you. Put your hand down and just pray this with me in your heart and mean it with everything you got. God, I'm here today and I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for help. And Lord, I believe that you have it. I believe that you created me. I believe that I need you in my life. And the only way I can have a relationship with you is by believing in your son, Jesus, and what he did for me. Is that I would receive what he already did for me. But up until this point, I just haven't said yes to it. But from, from here on out, Lord, my answer is yes. I believe that Jesus came to this earth, went to that cross to pay the price for my sins so that I wouldn't have to pay the price. I wouldn't have to go to hell. But Jesus died on that cross for me. And what's more incredible is that he rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he has power over death, but over guilt and sin and shame and all of that that separated me from you, Father God. I believe that he made things right. So Lord, I believe that, I receive it. And from this moment on, I'm gonna live that out in my life. Lord, as I continue to live for you, as I continue to get in the game and for us Christians to stay in the game, we keep living our lives for you bringing you into every part of our lives, Lord, that you promise to bless us, to give us eternity in heaven, to be our God both here and now on earth, speaking through us, doing things, healing us, changing circumstances, answering our prayers. Lord, I believe that from here on out, I have access to all of that that you have for me. Lord, I promise to do my best as I as I read my Bible, as I go to church, as I pray, as I get water baptized, as I, as I learn more about you. Lord, I pray that you would walk with me. I thank you for what you've done right now. I thank you for the changes that are coming my way. Thank you for loving me and accepting me, changing my life this morning. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen. Amen. Can we praise God for those people this morning? It's about five people.